0: Well, we continue in our studies in Mark's Gospel this morning and we come to a very real contrast with what's been recorded for the first 13 verses of Mark 9, the transfiguration of Christ before the three disciples. In that transfiguration, his glory was revealed as the Son of God. And this follows on, The confession that Simon Peter made, which is there in Mark chapter 8 and verse 29, when Peter answered and said to Jesus, Thou art the Christ. And now they've seen his glory. They've beheld his glory there on the mountain. But now they have to come down into the valley and into a scene of woe. But we do just need to note, and I don't really want to dwell on this, but we need to note that when they come to back to the other disciples and see the crowd, and there's obviously a real turmoil going on, notice in verse 15 it says, straightway all the people when they beheld him were greatly amazed and running to him saluted him. As I said, I don't want to dwell on this, but it seems that there was something about Christ as he came down from the mountain that particularly attracted them. And many have commented that it might have been something of the glory uh, still upon him and upon his face. I remember that when Moses had communed with God in the mountain, that his face shone. He didn't know it, but his face shone and the people couldn't bear the sight and, they, uh, and he covered his face. Uh, and it may be something like that. There was something of God's glory still upon him. But, really, what we have in this passage before us is a a huge contrast. In the one case, heaven is very present. In the other case, we can say that hell has drawn close. It is an attack by Satan upon this boy. Uh, The other passages in the Synoptic Gospels make clear that he is a young boy He's not a a son who's, let's say in his 20s or 30s, he is a young boy, we don't know exactly how old. But he is clearly, and the narrative here records it, that he is possessed by an evil spirit. Demon possession, it's probably in the world today, uh, particularly in those cultures that are strongly influenced by paganism and false religion. Uh, and very likely there are a few cases at least about. But as we know from the Gospels, in the days of Jesus' incarnate ministry, there were many manifestations of demonic activity, strong manifestations, and this not least amongst them. When Jesus was on earth, it was though Satan really let rip, and he took possession in a number of poor individuals of their bodies And of their minds, he possessed them. We mustn't think this is the only example of Satan's activity amongst people in the Gospels. I tend to think that what he was doing amongst the scribes and Pharisees was actually more dangerous and more demonic. Because it was through them Christ was crucified, the Lord of glory. And they did that in supposed possession of their faculties. Well, they did possess their faculties, but the light of truth was met by a strong manifestation of satanic opposition. So we mustn't just think of these poor demonized individuals as the only way in which Satan was at work. But this was a very um, obvious way he was at work and was seeking to assert his superiority over the forces Of good and particularly over Christ. So, we learn from this uh, manifestation and from from Christ dealing with it a number of important lessons. And the first is a very obvious one. The first lesson is that we need to be reminded again and again that there is a personal devil, Uh, and of course, his cohorts, the demonic angels, the fallen angels. But there is Satan. A fallen angel, Lucifer, son of the morning, originally once bright and perfect, created perfectly good, and I don't think he would like to be reminded of either point. Firstly, that he was created, that he's not God, and secondly, that he was originally perfectly good. But now, through his pride, he's fallen and he's absolutely committed to opposing God. But as the Bible makes clear, his days are numbered, He's heading for the lake of fire, and in the presence of Christ, particularly with the Gadarene demoniac, he makes it obvious that he knows where he's going as he begs Jesus not to send him into the abyss at that point. But until he is finally consigned to the lake of fire, the passages like this in the Bible tell us that he is utterly malicious, that he's restless, that he's raging. At anything and everything to do with God and so it continues down until Christ returns and he's prepared to attack anything and everything to do with God wherever he sees it so he wants to ruin creation and he wants to ruin the image of God in man and that really explains what's going on here with this boy this young lad uh, here we we read the description a dumb spirit wheresoever he takes him he tears him and the boy foams and gnashes with his teeth he pines away and then he's there on the ground wallowing foaming sometimes he throws himself into the fire sometimes he throws himself into the water and that's what he's trying to do with this boy to completely erase the image of of God in him, to erase anything of life in him. Because Satan can only ruin. Really, he hasn't creativity. He's got creativity in the realm of malice. But in the, even in that realm, there's no real creativity. He can't produce anything positive. And we need to note that as one of his many limitations. As Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill And to destroy. So we cannot doubt that there is a personal devil. And no naturalistic explanation can explain the sheer wickedness and malice. And vile selfishness that we see in our world today. That crops up everywhere. Evolutionists, yes they have a problem explaining creation. But they also have a problem explaining evil. It's not just the evil of randomness, which may hit people at different random points. It's the, it's the problem of sheer gratuitous nastiness. And this great liar, Satan, the author of sin, <coughs> he finds a ready ally in the sinful hearts of men and women not converted to Christ, where we all were once. There is an ally there. As the Apostle Paul says, Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And the Apostle John tells us that the whole world lies in the wicked one. Because that's his realm. And these are his allies, even if they're not aware of it. And so Christians, we must not forget his activity. It's not that we should be paranoid about demons because, as I, I've already said, Satan is not God. He, wasn't, he, he isn't God. He's, he's not omnipotent. He's not everywhere. He's not omnipresent. And he's not omniscient. He's not God. So we shouldn't be paranoid about him. On the other hand, we should not forget his activity. And sometimes we can do And it may be that we have negative experiences and it never occurs to us that this might be Satan having a go at you. Well there may be some factor in the situation that is intractable and difficult and destructive and has it occurred to you that this could actually be Satan at work? We must remember that there is a personal devil. And second, as this passage makes clear, we must Remember that Satan just tries to ruin things. Really, he tries to ruin everything. He's he's very subtle. He has plans that are subtle, but basically that's what he's trying to do. Everything good, everything Christ glorifying. In the Gospels, we see that after Christ's baptism and hearing the voice of his Father, thou art my beloved Son, then there was immediately the 40 days of temptation In the wilderness, not the only time Christ was tempted, but this was a climax. One of the climaxes, Satan, straight after the encouragement of the baptism of Jesus, he then attacks Jesus. After the transfiguration, another great high point in the ministry of Christ, then Jesus is confronted with this experience. After the resurrection of Christ, we have the lies of the Sanhedrin as they bribe the guards to say that the disciples stole the body away. After Pentecost, we then have the persecution of the authorities upon the disciples, their imprisonment and their martyrdom, some of them. So even as Jesus and the apostles knew this, After seasons of encouragement and blessing, you and I, if we are Christians, should not be surprised if we have a testing and trying time following on periods of peace, blessing and encouragement. Even if we were as perfect as Job, the patriarch Job, after a very blessed and happy and fruitful life, he had to endure great sufferings at the hand of Satan because Satan wants to ruin things. Mind you, it can work the other way. It can work the other way in this sense, that sometimes after periods of great suffering and attack, God brings great blessing and encouragement. In the ministry of Jesus, I mentioned his 40 days of temptation. But don't lose sight of that verse at the end of the temptation where it says, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Yes, it can work the other way. Let me tell you an incident from the life of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. In the summer of 1949, I'm reading something that's based on Ian Murray's biography of him. In the summer of 1949, when Dr. Lloyd-Jones had been the minister of Westminster Chapel for 11 years, he was suffering from depression, which he put down to a low physical condition and exhaustion. During this time, there came a temptation into his mind in the form of a fiery dart of doubt. It wasn't a doubt about the Christian faith or about his ministry, but it was a suspicion about a person who he trusted. The doubt was entirely without foundation, and he didn't give way to it for a moment. Yet it continued nagging him more and more and put him into an agony of spirit. And he traced really the attack down to a temptation to him to be proud. Now he was due to have treatment already before this all happened for Qatar in a nursing home near Bristol. And there he spent about two weeks on his own in a private room. Besides his usual reading of scripture, he had with him some writings of A.W. Pink, a Christian author he often found helpful. But over the next few days, nothing seemed to give him any spiritual comfort. Then one morning he awoke soon after six o'clock in the morning in an agony of soul and feeling a sense of evil in the room. He started dressing Then at that very moment, his eye caught just one word on the page in a sermon of pinks laying open beside his bed. The word was glory. And Lloyd-Jones says that instantly, like a blaze of light, he felt the glory of God surround him. Every doubt and fear was silenced. The love of God was shed abroad in his heart. Heaven became near. And he was brought into a state of profound joy that lasted for several days. Yes, after blessing, satanic attack can come. But let us not forget that our God is on the throne. And after satanic attack, blessing can come. But perhaps we just need to keep hold of the particular point that there is a devil And he does try to ruin things. And that leads us to the third lesson that's here in our passage. You and I are no match for Satan in and of ourselves. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. And they could not. Why couldn't they do it? Well, notice the response of Jesus as Jesus speaks to this man and to the people and no doubt to his own disciples. Oh, faithless generation, a generation without faith. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And it's clear from the conversation later with the disciples Why could not we cast him out? He says, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. There's something just to say about that phrase in a minute. But it's quite clear that whatever they were relying on, they weren't entirely relying on God. Because with God, all things are possible. They weren't entirely relying on the Son of God. Perhaps they were relying on the fact that that they've already cast out demons as part of their ministry with Jesus. Perhaps they were relying on past victories over evil. Perhaps they were relying on the immense privileges they had of being amongst his disciples and conscious of being a disciple of the Messiah. They have confessed that he is the Christ and perhaps they were feeling rather pleased about that. But now their own powerlessness and helplessness is revealed and We need to remember that we are no match for the devil. However long you've been a Christian, however deep and blessed your experiences of God and of Christ, you are no match. None of us is any match for the devil. But notice, even having reproved them for their lack of faith, and shown that it does distress him greatly. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Notice Jesus doesn't walk out on them. He doesn't leave them and say, I've had enough of you. I'm going elsewhere to find some other disciples. Instead, he first heals the boy, and then he continues with the disciples in the house where they can privately converse with him. It reminds us that while we cannot do it, and while this is often a long, long lesson to us to learn that we can overcome evil, but only through God, that God doesn't, he doesn't uh, lose patience with us. He is patient and kind with his people. But let us learn the lesson, friends. Let us learn the lesson that the Corinthians had to learn. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We do all that. We cast down those things, those uh, imaginations and those thoughts and those ideas in the hearts of people only through the power of God, by his word, by his spirit. It takes perhaps a lifetime to learn what that entails, that only God can progress the kingdom of God. Only God in Christ can build the church. Only God in Christ can convert someone. Only God can cast out the sin and wickedness in people's hearts. We cannot do it. It doesn't matter how many people we have. It doesn't matter what program we lay on. It doesn't matter how much we have that impresses the world. Only God, using his word in people's hearts, can do it. <clears throat> so we cannot do it. <clears throat> but this leads us, fourthly, to this lesson, Excuse me. <clears throat> that Christ is supremely more than a match for Satan. We can compare here the dire situation, the child being torn and tossed, tossed into the fire, tossed into water. He cannot control himself. He's under another power. Uh, We can compare that with the absolute power of Jesus demonstrated here. The people come running. They sense something is going to happen. Jesus is going to do something. And they come running to see it because they want to see what's, they're full of a desire for signs and wonders. And he rebukes the foul spirit saying unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. Now he didn't have to say it. He could have just done it. But he says it for the sake of the crowd, that they might know that he has done it, Jesus has done it. The spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him and he was as one dead in so much that many said he is dead. Maybe he had died, we don't know. But Jesus takes him by the hand, lifts him up and he arose. You see, Christ isn't wrestling and struggling here and finding it hard to win this one. But just as with the Gadarene demoniac, he expels the powerful demon and his word has power and authority. Come out of him and enter no more into him. This reminds us that Jesus came to crush, to bruise the serpent's head. That he is the mighty Christ, the son of God. Uh, Notice what the Apostle John says about him in his first letter. He says, he that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. In Colossians 2, we are reminded of this aspect of Christ's victory on the cross. Many things happened at the cross, but one of them was victory over the devil when he spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross because it was there... Their power was shown to be broken as he paid the price to redeem sinners. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the apostle is speaking about the mystery of iniquity and the Antichrist and things like that. And he speaks about... That wicked being revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That no doubt has reference to the second coming of Christ, but I think it also has reference to what Jesus does when he comes in revival power. The spirit of his mouth is the preaching of the word, the brightness of his coming is when he comes, the day of visitation into people's hearts. He has power. To conquer Satan, to cast out Satan, whether we're thinking of these rare cases of demon possession or whether we're just thinking of him casting out sin and selfishness and wickedness from the hearts of people. Christ can protect and watch over each one of us, but we need to arm ourselves for the battle, especially in days such as ours, which are so difficult and so discouraging and confusing. And yes, he does have all power in heaven and in earth, but we too must put on the whole armour of God, as Ephesians 6 makes clear. And as Ephesians 6 makes clear, sometimes it's not just something that happens in a moment that Jesus uses us, uses his church to conquer things just like that in a minute. Sometimes it requires standing and taking the continual battering of Satan and wrestling but it's through Christ we conquer. And it's through the shield of faith that we quench the fiery darts of the wicked. And I love that picture that John Bunyan paints of Pilgrim exhausted from the battle, lying down on his shield of faith. Our part is to watch and pray. And we come to this final verse, verse 29. <coughs> The disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said, Jesus said to them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now many sound commentators most in fact tell us that the and fasting is an added phrase not found in all of the manuscripts, the scripture manuscripts that exist still. That may well be the case but it's the point we need to get is that they're cast on God and not on themselves. That's what he's saying. You must be dependent on God and there must be focus in your prayer. If the, the phrase and fasting is there in the original, it speaks of focus. Not just a matter of missing a meal and therefore it's all going to happen. That's just, um, well, that's, that's uh, monkish piety we might say. It's... Um, lacking any kind of substance, is talking about self-denial for the purpose of focus in prayer. It may be to do with self-denial about watching the television, self-denial about lawful pleasures, self-denial about the use of your time, self-denial about priorities. But there are particularly strong evils that require very focused prayer. That's the point. This kind of can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And even the prayer is not something we should rely on. The prayer is in order that we might be enabled to take hold of God's power, that we might be enabled to believe that God will work. We need to wait upon him that we might be led in the prayer of faith. It's not just a case of, oh, I don't like this particular thing happening. I don't like abortion I don't like homosexuality, I don't like uh, selfishness or violence, and therefore I'll pray. No, we must wait on God. He is in Christ supremely, more than a match for Satan. This leads us to our final lesson from the passage, that even weak faith is mighty through God. Look at this in the case of the father of the child he asked his father how long is it ago since this came unto him and he said of a child so this has been haunting this family for perhaps quite a number of years maybe up to 10 years or so just think of living with that and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him but if thou canst do anything have compassion on us and help us so he He believes that Jesus is willing to do it, but he doesn't know whether he's up to it, whether he's up to the job. But Jesus responds, if thou canst believe, that's the point, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the father believes what Jesus says. And straightway we're told he cries out and says with tears, Lord, I believe Help thou mine unbelief. He's conscious, yes, he does believe Jesus can do it. And he does believe he's willing to do it, but he's so conscious of doubts and fears. What an honest and helpful answer this is. What a pattern to us, (coughs) where he says, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. (coughs) He has at least a mustard seed, maybe more than a mustard seed of faith, but it's certainly not pure unmixed faith like the faith say of Abraham who though he was past years and though his wife was past years was able to believe God for the gift of a son uh, in his old age no it's, it's not faith like that it's faith that's very fragile and isn't this to be frank friends so often the kind of faith that we have but Jesus responds positively and Jesus immediately rebukes the foul spirit. So we might be depressed, we might be discouraged, but ye fearful saints, fresh courage, take We're to do that. We're to believe God and to doubt our doubts. We're to believe that Christ is supremely a match for Satan and for all his machinations. And even if he is, God is delaying Uh, the day in which he is going to bring a final work and a final sweeping of the field uh, and winning of the field to his son, Jesus Christ, we must believe that he is a good general, a good field marshal of his troops, and he knows what he's doing, and he knows why he's doing it, that his strategy and his plans are perfect, and that he will exalt his son, and we must believe him to use even us and our prayers to further his kingdom and from time to time does he not give us little encouragements of prayers answered of things that we've asked him for suddenly they happen and what about our continual prayer give us this day our daily bread and he does lead us not into temptation and so often he does so let us take courage and remember that Jesus is more than a match for the enemy of our soul.